makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha, I can't do Chasha. Oh, I don't know. Get your mind cracking like an ombi. Oh, who do I? Na chupa ho yukhabi. Takos kashkana ombi kile na yuha. Ma kakile. Ha kantha katakum echa ke ke he om. Ona hoki chila mani pikte. Ma kakile hoki la mi moshikila. He om echa. Le om yuta. Tatani ma. Ambeti washte, chante washte na peti uzapielo le unkipiki he washtelo oyate hona umpi o hula oskati wichoni. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart, and the whole world is a beautiful day. It's good for all of us to be here and let the people hear your voice respectfully, celebrate life. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. Our website is firstvoicesindigenousradio.org. And I want to thank you for your generosity as always and for being here. You know who you are. Without you, we cannot continue. I'm your host, Teokas and Ghost Horse, all native hosted, all native produced First Voices Radio now in its 28th year of broadcasting. First Voices Radio producer is Liz Hill. Our first guest, Stephanie Say of the Buffalo Field Campaign. We've interviewed Stephanie since 2005 or so. And Stephanie was born in the Outer Banks of North Carolina and raised in Virginia. And Stephanie C. became aware of this culture's capacity for mindless destruction as the beaches and forests she grew up in were destroyed by so-called development. And she has been an earth activist since the late 1980s as apprenticed as a wildlife rehabilitator and is a student of horses. And she started following the work of the Buffalo Field Campaign in 1997. In January 2004, she moved to Montana and has been on the front lines with the Buffalo Field Campaign ever since. And she's a member of Deep Green Resistance since 2015 and stands in solidarity with those 
human and non-human, who want to bring an end to industrial civilization and the culture that is killing our planet. It's been a few years since I talked to Stephanie, and it's always a pleasure to have her back on the show, and it's an honor to share her passion for her life's work with us. And today, I want to talk with Stephanie about a continuous attack on the buffalo of Yellowstone, Yellowstone National Park, and how the Buffalo Field Campaign has been heading up the resistance to the destruction of the buffalo. And if not for BFC, it would be the final extinction of a species. I'd like to begin by asking the question about extinction and what is happening with the mindset of humans who would think to destroy a very keystone species within the context of immunity and this immunity of the earth as buffalo are to help restore healing that is needed now, especially now, uh, on the planet and with the, that uh, ever-present energy that the buffalo who are always cleansing and bringing strength to other species in that area. And right now it's an honor to have you on the air, Stephanie. But yes, along with these questions, um, I'm thinking also of how does one, what we are actually understanding the mind of extinction. I want to couple it with understanding that we don't know that when we get rid of species such as the buffalo, it, it, it's our same demise. And that deeper thought doesn't really seem to run across the forefront of people's processes of living with, with the earth here. But you've been in it since a long time, 1997, I think, is when I first start beginning to cover the, the, the buffalo field campaign. Can you tell us what's going on now down on the ground with the buffalo and what do we expect coming from, you know, once you return during the fall or so um, to, to see what and how much we've gotten along, uh, how far we've come as a human species with understanding the buffalo and how they're integrated with. Well, you know, this year was, like you said, a lot of more of the same, especially over in the Gardner Basin north of the park boundary, where Yellowstone captured hundreds and hundreds of buffalo. And there was also excessive hunting of the buffalo. And so this year we lost over 900 buffalo to um, government and, and um, other entities wanting to kill them to defend cattle interests, which is abhorrent. Um, we have a trap that, well, we don't, they have a trap inside Yellowstone National Park where year after year they capture and ship to slaughter hundreds of wild buffalo every year. And this is all, again, just to appease Montana's livestock interests. We also have made some incredible progress here in the Hebgen Basin, west of Yellowstone National Park, where we have gained year-round habitat for the buffalo to where they can no longer be captured for slaughter. They can no longer be hazed. And so we are seeing right now, it is calving season and there are many family groups of buffalo who are enjoying peace and tranquility and babies are being born and they're not being harassed. Mothers are giving birth in peace and they're just grazing and playing and running and, and doing what buffalo should be able to do all the time. We obviously have a really long way to go because this, this part, this year-round habitat is just a little tiny piece 
of all of the land that we need to regain for the buffalo, all the land that's their birthright. But we, while a lot of stuff has not changed, we have to look at the things that have changed, have to look at the progress that we have made. And right now we're spending our days in the company of family groups with little tiny babies who are just enjoying themselves and being who they are. And, you know, little baby buffalo, like nursing and running around and playing with their moms and getting to know their other new little baby friends and moms just being able to look out for them in a more natural way, not having to be concerned about the Department of Livestock coming out on horseback or with helicopters to chase them off the ground they choose to be on. So in some cases, we have made a, a, a tremendous amount of progress. We still have a really long way to move forward. And we really need to focus our sights on the Gardner Basin where that trap in Yellowstone exists. And we need to come together as a people and take that trap down. That trap is... It, I, the words, I can't say them over the radio, but um, that trap needs to come down. And it's, it's funded with federal tax dollars. It's inside Yellowstone National Park. It is a tool of destruction to, to basically uh, cooperate with the Montana Department of Livestock, who does not want wild buffalo to restore themselves on their native land, the livestock industry wants to control the ground, wants to control the grass and who gets to eat it. And they don't want to share the land with wild buffalo. And that is why we're in the situation that we are in. And like I said, while we have made some headway and we're enjoying things over here on the west side, on the north side is where a lot of the damage is being done. And we really need to raise awareness and come together as a people to take this trap down, to end the suffering that the buffalo endure year after year. So when I think about, okay, they're, they're, why would they get rid of the buffalo? And you just explain it to support comp competing for grass, grassland in the area they range. And one was I wondering how big is that range for them? And, and how many per square buffalo per mile are they allowed to, to do this? But first of all, I want to understand what are the differences between grazing habits between uh, domesticated cattle and the wild buffalo that you talk about? Well, obviously the earth chose the buffalo for this continent. The, the cattle are invasive. They came from Europe and from Asia. They brought with them diseases and the habits of the buffalo. I mean, they, they make the they have created the prairies and the grasslands on this continent. I mean, they are the ones who have built this landscape. And then the cattle were brought here and they are more of a wetland species. They're not, not a prairie species. They're not a arid grassland species. So they damage the land. They are very harmful to the land. Their hooves may look a little similar to the buffaloes, but they're, they have a different shape and a different way of moving on the landscape. And so they damage and smash down the land to where the buffalo help to gently till and, and, and encourage the grasses to grow, where the cattle, they just destroy it and they eat in a different way. Buffalo gently graze, they'll just take the tips of grasses and cows will take pretty much everything. Cows do not belong here. They need to go. And we are up against a, a 
public lands range war, which has been in place since cowboys arrived, since European settlers arrived. And the buffalo are the only ones that can heal these wounds that the cattle have inflicted. I mean, if we were to remove cows from the land and allow, stand aside and allow the buffalo to re restore themselves, the land would heal. They can help bring back the wounded prairies. They can help bring back these endangered ecosystems, these endangered communities, um, just by their very presence. I mean, they till the soil with their hooves, they fertilize with their poops, they carry seeds in their fur. I mean, they are the ones who created this land. Cows are here, they've destroyed so much and they need to go. Wow, and, and when I think about that, I think about how convenient this species, um, these d d domesticated cattle are, and yet the, the convenience of humans actually is allowing that to happen, in to happen and in fact, forcing it upon, uh, to make it inconvenient for other species that, that actually, as you say, are working with the land, living peacefully with the land, um, understanding the land, um, and then the, when we get into the fact that they are preventing more diseases to the land is what I would like to think if I'm correct, Stephanie. But, and you said to bring back, to restore this immunity, the strength of the land, whereas the invasiveness of, and I would re equate it to a virus now, okay. uh, because that's where we're going. And, and what is to overcome that, but from the knowledge, from actually the understanding of living with the earth and, and equate that, equating that with, um, you know, how do we understand ourselves about what's at hand for us with this current virus? And I, I don't know if it's, it's fair, fair or honorable to equate that with the Buffalo, but I really think there's something in there that what you said was that we, we forgot to honor the sacredness of the Buffalo and we went into the convenience and rationality of our stomachs that we need to eat beef and uh, that's just who we are as humans and, and whoever gets in our way of progress and that convenience, well, they're on their way out. But also, if you connect it with how the relationship with humans are, it's like they have social, they have, they have there's very social ana sociable animals um, and they're nations in a sense. So when you see, see, the, see the, the, the guns coming at them, the forcing, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, it's like, you know, attacking the, the native people. It's attacking anybody. Humans attacking humans in a sense. But so we understand that the buffalo are a nation just like we are as, as humans. And they are attacking our relatives, uh, this other yes. nation called the buffalo. Indeed. I mean, the buffalo, they're our elders. They're our family. And they have been mistreated for so long and it's like this virus thing that we're dealing with now it's like this is the earth fighting back you can look at it in so many different ways but ultimately this is the earth fighting back humans have over overtaken for far too long and and we have forgotten how to live with the earth and now the earth is trying to remind us you know i mean I don't want to shift gears to this virus thing, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a reality in our lifetime right now. I mean, we're living in really interesting times. There are some good things that are happening with it as well. I mean, you're seeing families are staying together. Families are doing projects. People are starting to grow more gardens. People are really thinking about learning how to be more sustainable. 
people staying home from work, the air has been clearing up in places, animals are returning to places. So there's a lot to be learned here. <clears throat> and I don't know exactly how to bring it back to the buffalo other than we have to, hmm, I can't really quite find the words, but we have to use this as an example of, I don't know, I'm at a loss for words at that. Yeah, we're speaking with Stephanie C. of the Buffalo Field Campaign. And Buffalo Field Campaign's goal is to stop the slaughter and harassment of Yellowstone's wild buffalo herds, protecting the natural habitat, of course, we're talking about that, of these wild free-roaming buffalo and bison and native wildlife and to honor the people that's what we do on first voices we, we honor the people who are working for the the sacredness even of the wild buffalo but all all species of life and uh, and when i think about all the nations that have come through all uh, even the horses that can help you out there the, yes. the plants all these nations that come forward to support your work and it uh to me, it's 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 that the Earth is got every every she's listening to us and she she answers every need that we have, and yet we we are ignoring the possibilities that the answer to this virus, but even the answer to ourselves in the way we think about getting rid of original species such as the buffalo. This doesn't seem to gel, and I think that's where you're saying there's no words to really explain. What can't be explained? There's just no logic to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm thinking that you know when when you go away, what happens to to the Buffalo Appeal campaign? Are there more people there that come because of tourism? And that's another thing. Tourism is down. Um, yet there's still tourists. Or I don't know what's going on out there. You do you think it will be different with less tourism going on? I hope so. We were really hoping that Yellowstone was going to stay closed so that the buffalo and all the other wildlife would actually get a break. But unfortunately, they are slowly reopening and there are tourists coming here from out of state all over the place and um, putting that pressure on on the park, on the wildlife and on the forest lands that surround the park. Um, but what the buffalo are eventually the ones who are still here in Montana will eventually migrate back into Yellowstone because that's where their rutting grounds are and the rutting season will come up within about a month and a half. Um, and I just hope that there's fewer and fewer tourists so that the buffalo can get a bit of a break so that all the grizzly bears and all the wolves and all the wildlife can get a little bit of a break because they're constantly being watched. They're constantly being harassed. And, you know, that's one benefit, one, one of the benefits of this coronavirus is that it's keeping people at home, most of them. But there are a lot of people that are starting to come out of the woodwork and, and go into these sacred places and go into these wild places. And I just really hope that it'll be fewer and fewer. I think that if the international, the out of the country boundaries remain closed, then there will be um, many less visitors because there's a visitors to Yellowstone come from all around the world. Um, and if, if the, the international boundaries stay closed, then there will be a, fewer people, I think, but there's still, it's, it's nuts how many people are coming around, even though it's 
not wise to do so right now. Mm. But we do hope that the buffalo will will get a little bit of a respite from so much human activity with this. Yeah, and I'm thinking along the same lines is that since there may be less less, less to little vis visitors here at the Yellowstone at the, the, the Montana Department of Livestock, what would they do? Would they come in even more so because no one's really paying attention? Yes. They're not really allowed to do anything inside the park. And then where the buffalo are now, they're not allowed to bother the buffalo anymore. Um, there are some places outside of the park um, that they still can be harassed. And they have been a few times this season. But for the most part, the buffalo are in places with, that they are allowed to be and that they are safe from the harassment of the Department of Livestock. So the Department of Livestock could just basically go home and go mine their cattle and leave the buffalo alone. They have no business out here right now. Wow, wow. So wh when when the quiet season, so to speak, is now, what happens with uh, you know, the, the campaign? Does that you encourage more people to become out? Do you do recruiting? What happens? Well, right now we're not accepting new volunteers because of the virus. It's been a bit of a challenge. Um, it's been just you know a handful of us here for many months now with this disease, with this virus. But so we would typically be switching into our summer outreach program where we would be tabling inside the park, giving information, talking to park visitors, but we're not doing that this year. There's an, a chance that we may do a little bit of outreach in the Bozeman area, which is the biggest city closest to us uh, later in the summer. But for now, it's just the coordinators who work here and we have one volunteer who's been here for a while and um, we're gonna keep going out in the field every day so long as these buffalo are in Montana, uh, just to check on them and make sure no one's bothering them. And um, other than that, it's just gonna be the handful of people who remain here during the off season, like our office coordinator, campaign coordinator, um, and yeah, we'll just carry on business as usual with much fewer people. We're hoping that by the time the next field season begins that things are not so intense and we can start to welcome volunteers back again. Because I mean, we're a volunteer-based campaign, so not being able to welcome volunteers has been really challenging for us. But but we're doing it. We're we're getting things done, and we're out there with the buffalo every single day, no matter what. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much. I just have one thing. When I was remember, I was reading your um, bio earlier, um, thinking about how you apprenticed and back in the uh, what the late '80s, you were apprenticing as a wildlife rehabilitator. In the but '90s, yeah. In the '90s, yes, and so. I'm thinking about, okay, the word a wildlife rehabilitator, is it that the, the, the rehabilitation came because of wildlife and the wildlife has taught you how to be a rehabilitator or is it the other way around? What do you think? I think it's a bit of both. I think that the wildlife definitely, they're always the teachers. They're always the main teachers. And the rehabilitation comes from human error like human caused damage injury to wildlife and so we have to learn how to try to make up for our mistakes like for example a hawk or an owl gets hit by a vehicle and their wing is broken that's a human caused injury a human caused problem and so we 
who have compassion will take that animal, that bird, and try to heal that wing to the point to where that that individual can be released back into the wild and continue to live their life as a wild free species. Yeah, wow. It, it always seems, I'm just getting the, the thought that, it always seemed like there was a start and every time I talk with you is like, we're just starting again. We're just, <laughs> we're beginning. Is, is there going to be an end to this someday? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, oh, well, just an honor to, to speak with you and-, and Likewise. And, reading your blog on, on the Buffalo Field Campaign um, website uh, the, that you can spell that out, buffalofieldcampaign.org. You can go to get your up, updates, what the, what's going on with the Montana State Legislature and protecting, and even in the wildlife of uh, what I see, what I hear around the world, that some of, somewhat of nature is, is uh, coming back. Do you yes. see more? Do you see more of that happening? Yes, I mean, it, I, mean, I mean, it's. I guess it's happening here for sure. But I'm seeing it happening globally with the with, you know, like in is it Venice? Dolphins were coming back into waters they hadn't been in for ages because the there was less and less pollution. There's birds moving back into areas they haven't been in because there's less pollution. There's other animals moving back into places because there's fewer people. And I mean, that is a beautiful thing. And so when people talk about, oh, let's go back to normal. No, we don't want to go back. That was not normal. And we don't want to go back to that. The earth is teaching us a lesson right now. And I'm really hopeful that a lot of people are learning this lesson and seeing the benefits of us being less of an impact on the earth in a negative way, of us staying home with our families, learning projects, learning skills, being together you know fewer people in all the wild places is a boon for the wild creatures and i think there's a lot to learn from what's going on and and i hope that we can look at it with a perspective that um encourages a continuation of us not needing to be out and about and busy and buying and shopping and being such stupid humans all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Well, Stephanie, honor again to be with, with you. Um, the listeners will get a lot out of this and, you know, good good luck. I don't want to say that, but just have a great time with the horses that you're going to spend the time with. And uh, Thank you. And we'll talk in the future and see what goes on um, in the life of the buffalo and the life of humans if we do see even further than what we, we are seeing now how we must have peace with the earth. Yes. And, and uh, thank you again for this. Um, is there anything I've forgotten? I can't think of anything. I would just encourage people to go to our website, buffalofieldcampaign.org, and find out what's going on and how you can help. And hopefully, if things calm down, we can have folks join us in the field next season. Great. Thank you, Stephanie, for thank Stephanie C. She's there. Um, she's been. I've been interviewing Stephanie for I don't know, fifteen years. I don't. Oh, know. A long time, yeah. It's a long time, but thank you again. And and uh, someday soon, things will. Nature is returning to the normal, the normalcy that it experiences all the time. It's just that we as human have been abnormal all the time, and she's only yeah. reacting to what the abnormal is, and that happens to be human, and yes. our behavior. So thank you, Stephanie. 
Thank you so much. All right. Be well. Thank you. You too. There was a time not that long ago when the buffalo were so plentiful that some areas of the plains appeared black with them. A hunter could ride for days along the edge of one herd. In those days, to the people of the plains, the buffalo was a life-giver. They used everything from the beast. The meat was used for food, the hide for clothes, blankets and coverings for their teepees, the sinew for bows, strings and ties, the bladders as water containers, the hooves for glue, the bones for ladles, pins and needles. The toughest part of the hide, the neck, was used to make the small round war shields that the plains warriors carried. Buffalo wool was gathered and used as stuffing for pillows. Even the buffalo excrement was used as fuel for fires. Following a buffalo hunt, the best hide was kept as an offering. It was painted by the finest artist to record the event and then carried back to the site of the hunt and left at the highest point to honor the spirit of the buffalo that had given their lives so the people could live. This show of respect was also meant to give thanks to the Creator and to honor the souls of the buffalo and their passing from earth to the spirit world. They believed that if the buffalo were hunted in a sacred manner, they would return to be hunted again and again, and in this way the circle of life would last forever. The skulls of the buffalo were used in the sacred Sundance ceremony, and the others left on the prairie were always turned to face the east where the sun rises. The people lived as one with their life-giver, the buffalo. When the white men first came to the plains, it seemed to the people that they just wanted to trade, and for a while all was calm on the huge prairie. But soon the whites began to want the lands where the people lived. They tried to take it from them by force, but the people fought back, and they fought hard. The white men could not take the lands as easily as it was first thought, so their government changed its tactics. It sent its army into the prairies to kill the people and the food supply, the buffalo. They slaughtered whole herds of them, the United States government then sent mercenary white hunters to kill the animals the army had missed until there was almost no buffalo left alive. During this time, a young Kiowa warrior and his family had been running from the white soldiers. They were camped in a valley beside a beautiful mountain, but they had chosen a very rugged area, hoping that would stop the soldiers from following them. One morning, the young warrior's wife had risen early, she had gone down to draw water from a stream when she heard the sound of hooves ringing against the stony ground. Afraid that her husband's thoughts about the white soldiers not being able to follow them were wrong, she hid in the thick bushes, fearing for her life and expecting the worst. It had been a very cold night the night before, and the warmth of the morning sun caused a thick mist to form. It carpeted the valley floor, and through the mist emerged a huge white female buffalo, leading some badly scarred young buffalo warriors and their wives and children. The small buffalo party stopped and looked sadly at the young woman in her hiding place, as if to say goodbye. 
They then lumbered on to the foot of the beautiful mountain. When they got to its base, the side of the mountain opened. Inside was a magical place where the sun always shone and the waters were clear and cool, where the birds sang and the grass was the greenest green. There were no disrespectful hunters, and respect for everything was the only way of life. The white buffalo woman led the party inside, and the mountain closed behind them. The white man had won. The buffalo were gone. Buffalo Mountain by Elizabeth Hill. On May 7, 2020, an international online gathering and sharing of indigenous knowledge and healing was held with original nations of the Western Hemisphere in light of the ancient prophecy of the eagle and the condor. The original eagle and condor prophecy is not what you hear on alternative New Age or colonized watering down, but, but one of great impact and sometimes harsh reality with Mother Earth. This gathering was called the International Day of Blessing for Mother Earth, and survival of the world depends on our sharing what we have and working together. And if we don't, the, the whole world will die, first the planet and next the people. When we become hollow bones, there is no limit to what the higher powers can do in and through us in spiritual beings. Frank Grandpa Fool's Crow. The International Day of Blessing for Mother Earth is, is a call to action, an international invitation to connect through and with indigenous elders and knowledge keepers with an intention to learn, grow, heal, and return to Otowaching, Otokohe, completion of our blue energy. And Claude Tokala Hochokama Onkia Obani, Two Elk, feels the urgency of our moment, the howl of our Mother Earth, the sickness of our people a spiritual vacuum that is being filled with hate and has decided to do something about it. Animated by the knowledge of his ancestors and spiritual mentors such as Grandpa Fool's Crow and working closely with Dr. Jamie Barchi's Cherokee Nation, Tokala is on a global mission to heal us all, the planet and our collective traumas. Tokala and Jamie with partners from North, Central, and South America have started a network of international collaborators and volunteers dedicated to integrally improving health, well-being, and equity for indigenous peoples of the Americas. These spiritual and community leaders are working collaboratively to foster systematic changes under the premise that human and environmental or Mother Earth health are intrinsically connected as one by supporting indigenous interventions across borders through prayer, activism, art, education, and outreach, they are working toward the unity of the people and for everyone's return to a healthful self and a healthy environment. This pandemic and its message to the planet has underscored the urgency of their work, and they are gathering to offer blessings for the healing of our Mother Earth and her people. We will first hear from the Richasha Wakan. Richard Movescamp of the Oglala Lakota in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and then we will move to the southern continent to Ecuador, and the Kiche elder Angel Tiban Santilan. First Voices Radio would like to thank Claude Tuelk and J.J. Lynn for making the audio of elders available, and to the interpreters, editors, and supporting partners, Immediate Medium, Indigenous Ways, Emily Johnson, who is the catalyst, International Indian Treaty Conference, Interchange Works, Collapsible Whole USA, 
Wind Fire Associates, LLC, USA, and Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. And now, Richard Moosecamp. I wanted to say, uh, my name is Richard Moosecamp. Uh, I'm from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in the state of South Dakota. I'm over here in the eastern part of the reservation. I wanted to greet all my relatives, you know, throughout Indian country, national and international, the indigenous communities. I'm very thankful that uh, I'm able to share a few words and words of encouragement to all of our relatives throughout the country. During this time, the world is in crisis and uh, the world is facing difficulties. We don't know how long that's going to be, but as Native people, Indigenous people, what was given to us by the Creator is the ability to reach out to Creator and prayer, pray and live the mindfulness and understanding about what, it, about what is in front of us that will get us through this crisis. All of our Indian people, indigenous people throughout the Western Hemisphere or the international community, we face the common problems, we call common challenges is our young people, the knowledge and teachings are at stake about our culture and our language. And most of all, we have to teach the young people the power of understanding their surroundings, understanding where we come from as Indian Native people. Native people, we have a prayer, we have ceremonies, and that's what's going to help us through. But all the rituals and all the ceremonies, the fires and the water and all the things that was given to us creator, it helps the human become one with the understanding. Without understanding, it is impossible to love oneself and love others. So understanding is a very source of what the, uh, the spirit of love. We want to be loved. The whole world, the common human being, is always have a fear of not being loved or not be able to love people, love the world. We love the Mother Earth. We love Creator God. We love the air. We love all the elements, the trees. We are part of a process of Mother Earth. But still, the Mother Earth remains a very powerful, live a being. That's why we call it Mother Earth. It takes care of itself. God made it like that. So it allows us to live in a humanistic world on the Mother Earth, but we have to understand that we are here on impermanent, impermanent basis that we all come from Mother Earth and we all go back to Mother Earth. 
while we're here, we contribute to the future generations, our children, our elders, the things that we have around us. So many indigenous people have understood and lived throughout the history about the terminology of sovereignty. In the Lakota, my tribe, Lakota word for sovereignty is igluha, ia igluha, which means one takes care of itself, independent, and that sovereignty starts from the individual. As a human being, we learn to take care of our loved ones, ourselves, our homes. We learn to be responsible for caring for our children. That is the terminology of the native people, how they look at sovereignty. Individual humanistic, our inner being, is what makes us a sovereign journey. And when two families and more families starting to practice these common teachings, we become a sovereign nation. And we interdependence each other, we help each other. So today, the worldwide indigenous people, people that walk with prayer, people that are bundle keepers, people that are fathers of families and mothers, we must put our prayers together and pray together as one to be able to overcome this human crisis. Millions of people have perished through this illness that they're all talking about. But those people that have a strong faith in their creator and strong faith in their inner being, they will be, you know, they will be spared. They will continue. We'll, we'll live through this and this thing too will pass. We have to receive, understand the message that is given to us by creator worldwide, not only native people, but all walks of life about what is happening to us and pray that we have an understanding of what this is. We take care of our loved ones. We take care of ourselves. And it, things will turn out good. So I just wanted to share that message this evening. And uh, I thank the opportunity to coming on to the air and reaching out to the relatives of the international community, national and local people, our relatives. We're all in this together, and uh, we're going to come out at the end. The Creator has always made it like that. So it teaches us very important lessons. Around here, they tell us to stay six feet apart, the boundaries. Well, that's what we should have been doing already anyway, without being told. Too many times, people cross each other's boundaries and hurt each other. It shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. And they told us to wear our masks so that we don't pass our germs around. Well, we should have been doing that already. Our words are hurtful sometimes. We don't say things without consideration and we our words are like fire. We burn people. They get hurt for a long time. 
So those are the important messages that we received from the creator through this whole thing. So I just wanted to share that much with you. And uh, I wish everybody well and take care of each other. And uh, always remember that we're all one people. And prayer, the fire is one. The prayer is a very powerful tool that the creator gave us. So that's what will get us through. So I just wanted to say thank you, and uh, I'll stop there and uh, encourage all my relatives a wonderful evening and wonderful summer, and they will, everything will be okay. And that was Awichasha Wakan from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, the Oglala Richard Moves Camp. And next, next we'll listen to the Kiche elder, Enhel Tipon Santilan. Thank you for joining us here on First Forces Radio. My name is Tio Kassan Ghost Horse. Un saludo a todos quienes están participando de este gran encuentro. Participating at this international meeting. And I am very grateful for this invitation that I have received from my our grandfather, uh, Takala Rosenda Abadio, and all of you that have made this meeting possible. And I will now continue asking permission from all the grandparents in Abay Ayala from many years ago that have been teaching us for such a long time to feel, to understand our Mother Earth. As Andean people, the people of Abay Ayala we have always had constant communication and we have been connected to Mother Earth. We have always had a cosmic awareness as Andean people, and especially the Quechua people, my people, we have had that understanding and that cosmic awareness. And we express that with the four important time frames in our lives on the 21st of March. That's when it is our new year on March 21st. For those of the agricultural people, it's the flowering, the birth, the new birth of agriculture. The 3rd of May, we celebrated the day of what's called Chakana. That's another manifestation that our people have always been connected to Mother Earth and with the universe, with the cosmos. We have always had a cosmic awareness. And now we are near the end of the, of the rains and we are approaching harvest time. And this is another time for, uh, an important time for indigenous peoples in the Andean mountains. And then in September, we'll start the germination, the feminine time frame for women. It will end in December with what is called then the flowering or the growth of the plants. And these four time frames with it throughout the year show how as our people, we have always been in communication and we've always been in tune with Mother Earth, living together with her side by side. And every and those of us from the south, the north, the center, we are here together. And we are here focusing on the 
her energy from the water, from the forest, to recover energy, to get back our strength, to recover wisdom. And this is a challenge that we have to get in touch with Mother Earth again, to have this as a challenge, to connect with her again, to communicate with her once again, because we have become so separated from our Mother Earth. And for that reason, we are suffering these serious consequences. And for that reason, it's so important, especially for the youth and women, to start a, this process of meeting again with Mother Earth, to have a reuniting with her from our daily lives, from our families, from our communities, our organizations, to have this reuniting, a homecoming with her, to look at her heart, to ask ourselves, why have we become so alienated from her? Why have we separated and really separated ourselves from her? And that's why our brothers in Central uh, America, Guatemala, Colombia, we've started this teaching about Mother Earth. We need to learn about learn from Mother Earth. We need to learn to reunite with the spirituality that she offers us, that gives us strength, that gives us wisdom. It's very, we're going through difficult times, but it is really Mother Earth that has given us another opportunity. She's calling out to us and giving us this opportunity. It's in our hands, and it's especially in the hands of the youth. We want to commit to doing this by using this day of blessing, this meeting, to gather our energy, our wisdom that has been given to us and that all of you are sharing with us to commit, to listen, and to return to the source, to return to our Mother Earth, to care for her so that she will continue to nourish us, to give us wisdom, and she will continue to strengthen us. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Grandpa, Ankel. Thank you, Tata. Thank you, Grandpa. Thank you, Abadio.
For his love that took his life away On the road to glory Where the story never ends Just another holy man Dare to be a friend My God, they killed him There is a place called South Dakota It's the home of Sitting Bull He was branded a Redskin Savage When he tried to defend his land that day But his dream of beauty that they could not burn away Just another holy man Dared to be a friend My God, they killed him Sing the song of Mahatma Gandhi Sing of Martin Luther King Sing the song of Christ Almighty Sing a song of Sitting Bull. Floyd Westerman, ladies and gentlemen. Floyd Westerman. He's a powerful presence on this earth, that man.